the separation. Exerting the devices of its power, Friend made sure to keep Amory under its control and suggestion, feeding and quelling his obedience at will. The jar led and the boy followed. This was the way that the Sibjulum had wanted it from the start. And yet, it did it in a way that allowed the boy to think he still had control, that he still carried out his own desires according to his own will. It was a master in these arts. Like Akliban, the boy's will had been taken. Slowly and indisputably, the Sibjulum had broken down the walls of Amri's individuality, replacing it with its own novelties of machination. He knew only of his accomplishments under the Celadin Jar's direction. It was these accomplishments that gave him confidence and esteem. Through them, all of his sorrow and regret were replaced by an elated feeling of greatness. This power brought to him a delight that temporarily filled the decay within him. As this withering advanced, the more desperately he needed to cover it with the Sibjulum's tasks. The boy was quickly losing himself to a grisly transformation and an ensnaring damnation. Amri was now being thrust into a task that would bear volatile, and more than likely disruptive, results. The boy was a prince of grim collusion, being led to his crown. As he landed behind his cottage, Amri noted that it looked darker, it felt different to him, like it had never been his home. He cast the searcher stone into the sky with the chest of charmers once he was on the ground. For a fraction of a moment, at the cusp of his vision, he thought he saw a shadow spring to the stone as it rose above the cottage, but it happened so fast that he could only attribute it to the shifting light of the moons. The boy walked into the cottage through the back door like he always had, but this time he did so stealthily as if he were prowling like a thief into a place of belongings not his own. Slowly, he made his way through the kitchen. His mother's apron lay on the kitchen counter, and Amory stroked it with his free hand as he passed by. He felt the flour and dust of cooking pass before rubbing it off his fingers. Smells and tastes came to his thoughts as he momentarily lost himself to their influence. In response, Friend lessened the warming comfort of energy it released through the boy, distracting him from the reminiscences. Slumped in her chair, Amory's mother slept. An empty glass of tea rested on the table beside her. The boy watched her chest rise and fall in the motion of her steady, even-temperedness. He pictured her heart beneath, flexing with the virtues of her character, emanating the essence of her hardened emotions and rigid love. He was surely drawn to her then, as he always had been. Friend then substantially removed his protection against the swelling chasm within the boy. The energy of his mother was significant. Even with the throbbing discomfort spewing from within, Amory was charmed by his mother and could not immediately move himself to wake her. It took the Sibjulum's impatient whisper to remind him of his task. The boy heeded its request, but still felt no hurry in commencing the interaction between mother and son. Very unsurely, Amory called to his mother. Mama, he half whispered, half spoke. His mother's eyes flew open. The sound of his voice was like a hurricane rushing through the caverns of her ears. Moisture issued from the bottoms of her eyes while the muscles in her face began to twitch uncontrollably. She looked at her son with a struggle mixed of joy, relief, and confusion. Amory? Oh, Amory. Lunel lunged from her seat and enveloped her son in her arms. After many moments of silence, Lunel spoke again. You mustn't go back to the Apocryphalum. At least not yet. Not until you're older. 
The boy was shocked by her apparently calm demeanor and knowledge of his whereabouts. I have to. That's why I'm here. I came to say goodbye. You've aged too much already. The boy forgot his present purpose and scrunched his face in puzzlement. What do you mean, aged too much? At that moment, Amory noticed how his clothes were no longer covering the proper lengths of his body. His sleeves were short of his wrists, and his pants were short of his ankles. He then, too, realized why his feet had been aching so considerably in Janmer's lair and while flying on the searcher's stone. He had outgrown his shoes. It's why children aren't allowed to travel to the other isles. They would lose so many years, years like you've lost. You're at least two years older than you were when you left. I've been gone for only one day, and how would that even be possible? How are many things possible? The Apocryphalum is not like Hawaii. Time goes by differently there. It falls away, decaying unkind at a great speed. You've been in the Apocryphalum much longer than you think, and you've only been gone from here four hours. I just got back from looking for you in the cemetery with Amnes and some others not a half hour ago. The boy stumbled away from his mother in shock, shaking his head and tucking in his lower lip. You're just saying that to keep me here. Passion infiltrated Lunel's words. Why do you think I guarded you so? Why do you think I prevented you so strictly from returning to Tempertime Cemetery? No, Amory, it's true, and it's why I could never tell you what really happened to your father. Lunel turned her face downward, revealing the pain of the secret's burden. The sigillum jar smiled to itself and remained silent, lessening even more its flow of warmth to the boy. Then tell me now, the boy grimaced. Lunel kept her face hidden. There's a chance your father is alive. Alive? Amory's face trembled under an amplified rage that built between a coagulation of shattering frustration and his inner chasm's spewing of emptiness. He took a step back and smacked his mother's unfinished cup of tea off the table with his free hand. It smashed against the wall and shattered. Where is he? The boy turned away from his mother. Lunel began to cry uncontrollably and reached for her son with one hand. The shield over her emotion had broken. He was over 80 years old and bodily aged that day I went to go get him with you. He could barely walk. That's why he couldn't come here on his own. That's why Jairus went out ahead of him. He got trapped in the Apocryphalum and his years were stolen from him. His life passed him by and he didn't get to live it. I barely recognized him. Why didn't he come home? Amory still faced the other way, his teeth clenched together. He wanted to. That was the plan all along. Jeras and your father uncovered something in the Apocryphalum, something sinister, and one of them had to get to a kingdom isle to convey their information. Jeras wasn't as far aged as your father, so it was going to be him, but he was the one murdered that day. Lunel's voice caught, and she paused before resuming her story. An agent of this evil, a sprith, had followed them back to the Isle of Winder, and when your father was left alone in the cemetery, it attacked. Jairus and I got there just in time to save him. In the struggle, my face was slashed and Jairus was killed. Amory's head jerked up at the shocking understanding of how his mother's face had become scarred. It lost its knife when it stabbed Jairus, and that's the only reason it fled. And so the burden of traveling to a kingdom isle to impart the vital information was your father's. But that meant he would never be able to return to Winder again. He was too old for a journey back through the Apocryphalm. It would have surely killed him. Your father made a sacrifice for the people of Awaya. Why didn't you just tell me? It was easier to tell you that he was dead rather than the truth. 
he wouldn't be here no matter what, and by the time you'd be old enough to go and find him, he'd be. Lunel choked up. He'd be gone. So it was better to just have it done with. He gave me his ragwire flute and the bloody dagger, and we both agreed on it. What aisle did he go to? I don't know. Tell me. I don't know, Amory. Tears flowed freely from Lunel's eyes. Water swelled in Amory's eyes as well, but not because of sadness. They dampened because of turmoil and the burden of tremendous fury. Find him for us, Lunel implored, surrendering fully to emotion. You can't stay in winter, we both know that, so find him. Her son was lost and there was no reclaiming him. She knew this, and because of this she opened an aura of energy that beseeched the deepest remnants of her son. It thrust through the desperation of emptiness and the push and pull of the sigillum's play to Amory's core. The evils of his recent past melted away, leaving behind the passionate boy who loved his mother. A joy was born within him. With this elation came an outpouring of relief and affection for his mother. The boy stepped back towards Lunel and wrapped him around her. Just as the boy began to constrict his now devoted arms, pulling in tightly his hands against his mother's figure, just as the power of his mother had filled the chasm of emptiness and revealed once more the wholesomeness of her son's essence, Friend did something diabolical, something it had not yet revealed to be within its capabilities. It moved. It shifted and pushed off of the three remaining charmers in the boy's grasp, letting them slide and fall from beneath him. Two of the cards fell to the ground, but one caught a pocket of air with its downward angle and curled into the small of Lunel's back. In that same instantaneous moment, the Celadon jar venomously spewed a flow of decay and desperation into the boy, splitting open larger than ever the chasm of emptiness so that it would consume the boy, burying the Amory that cared for his mother far beneath the agony. The chasm swelled and gaped, sending torment to the deepest ends of his being. Just as heated metal branded the skin, his insides burned indescribably with a mark of supernatural contamination. The torturing enigma beckoned to be assuaged by the release of charmers and the capturing of spirit, and it was, instantly. For just as this torrent arrived, so did it pass as the charmer dissipated into his mother, leaving the ephemeral black sparks in its wake. So instead of lament, thoughts of glory swirled and twisted throughout Amory's mind. The loss of his mother abated the agonizing tinge of his seared being. Lunel moved her hands onto Amory's face, resting her fingertips on the tops of his cheeks before she slipped into the coma of spiritlessness. Her body went limp, and the boy let her go. She slumped to the ground in an unconscious heap, her spirit expelling into material form. Without concern for his mother, Amory relaxed and let the feelings of fulfillment and satisfaction engross his senses, blinding himself to reality's horrors with the grandeur of the twisted achievement of spirit collecting. With morality wholly blurred, the residuals of the old Amory redemption were now almost completely devoured by the synthetic exultation filling the gaping chasm of emptiness inside him. The beings, the creatures, the beasts, from other worlds again revealed the shadows of their forms, rejoicing in a chorus of grateful, dreadful shrieks, howls, and ululations as his mother's spirit slithered into the Celadon jar, its eyes glistening their vivid orange. We must leave now, Amory, Fryn instructed as the ethereal display dispersed. We have much to do. The boy acknowledged the sibjulum by making the short walk to the front door of the cottage. He did not even give a final glance at his mother, who now shook violently, yet silently, upon the floor. 
Before he even recalled her face, he was outside, too far gone to even remember the impervious evil that had just taken place. Now we may continue our task, Friend said. <laughs>